Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Views on View podcast. This week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. Hello from cold Portland. Lindsay Wardell. Hello from sunny Portland. You can see the rain. (laughs) I love it. He's on the other side. Austin Gill. Hello from San Diego. It's uh, freezing 62 degrees. (laughs) Thanks for that. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. My book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job, is now out in paperback on Amazon, so you can go pick it up there. We have a special guest this week, and that is Miriam Boyerlein. Yeah, hi. That was a great pronunciation. (laughs) I had to stop and think about it. You probably heard me pause. (laughs) But anyway, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and why everybody loves you. I don't know about that, but I'm Miriam. I'm a front-end developer. I'm working in... Frankfurt here in Germany in a remote company, but we have an office in Frankfurt, so I can do both things, which is really great. I'm new to development. I'm a front-end developer since about two and a half, three years. And what's interesting, I'm making Conference Buddy, which is a private project for people like me who have a bit problem connecting with new people and go to conferences. So you can look up buttons for conferences. And I think that's the interesting part about me. (laughs) Very cool. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. So uh, you said you're new to uh, front-end development and on the prep doc. Sorry, I am so tired. I can't even talk straight. So on the prep doc, it says that you're new to Vue and that you came from React. So do you want to kind of give us your coding journey and give us an idea of how you came to be a Vue developer? Yeah, sure. So actually, I started coding like, I think with 11, but it was only like a hobby. I never thought about that this could be a job or anything for uh, like that for me. And I work in different fields. I, I'm an industrial management assistant. That's um, a very German thing. And I worked in office management and stuff like this for ages. And software development and especially web development was just a hobby for me for, uh, for, me for years. And I think three, three and a half years ago, I worked at an agency that had a web development department. And I have worked as a dog trainer also. And I thought about changing something. So I did two jobs for eight years. And I thought about maybe I could make another hobby like coding into a job. The agency I worked at gave me the chance. They said, okay, you can do it at our front end department. And I started working there as a developer for one year. Then I switched jobs and got in a bigger like software company where I worked for one and a half year. And that's where I, uh, where I worked with React. 
And now, eight weeks ago, I started working at the next company and now I work with Few. So that's how I came to Few in the end. That's cool. So how much better is Vue than React then? <laughs> it's different. I don't think something is really better. It's just Aww. different. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that's true. But the first thing I noticed about Vue, everybody says, okay, Vue is great. The documentation is so great and it's easy or easy is the wrong word, but it's you can ease in Vue a bit better than in React because React is so, like, it's so much JavaScript. That was the first thing I actually noticed about Vue was like, okay, it does look so familiar to me because I have worked with um, handlebars a lot and I have worked with templating systems. So it was really easy getting started with Vue because I already had experience with component-based um, single-page application. The first time I read the documentation, I was like, oh, okay, that's what everybody's talking about. It's just, it's a really great community behind it. And they are really great resources for, to learn stuff. So that was pretty cool. And I think that was a bit harder um, with React for me at least. Had you had any experience working with you prior to joining the new company or was it just maybe you heard about it and you heard about the documentation being easy, but you just hadn't given it yeah. a look? I didn't have any experience. I heard about it and I knew a few people from the Vue community, but I have never written Vue before I started working actually. Okay. What were your kind of uh, impressions coming onto it? Like before joining the company, before starting Vue, they told you, hey, we're a Vue shop. We're going to be, you know, this is the technology you're going to be using. What were kind of your your opinions of it at that point? I'm not sure. I just, I think I was just open to it because I think in the end, what I'm writing is, or I'm working on the front end. So Vue is just the framework I'm working with and it's JavaScript in the end. So my first thought was like, okay, do I really want to start something new? Because I just was familiar with React. But in the end, like the company as a whole and um, the way I was, or I could see myself working there was more important than the frameworks they're using. So I've never done a lot of React. I've done some reading of it. But the way I understand it is with React compared to Vue is that Vue tends to abstract more things away and it's a little more higher level, whereas React is more lower level JavaScript where you're writing JSX in your templates. So Vue does a little bit more for you. One of the examples I've heard is something as simple as a V4 directive, where in React, you would have to write that out a little more, whereas in Vue, just using the V4 and then putting your HTML inside that handles that for you. Is that accurate? Yes, that's totally true. Actually, that's the thing I'm still struggling a bit because I was used to React, which is basically JavaScript and everything is JavaScript. And Vue does a lot of things for you. It's, like you said, more magic. It's, I think it's a bit more like Rails, like, like Ruby on Rails, where you have conventions and you have opinions about how you should approach stuff. It makes it easy, but coming from a bit like from the wild west of, of React and JavaScript, now working with Vue and TypeScript, is, it took me some time to get a bit used to it, actually. You're, you're struggling with how much more productive you are and how easy everything <laughs> is. What am I going to do with all this extra time that I have? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like 
I worked with TypeScript before and I, I tried out Go. So Go was my first um, strong type language. And the thing is, I'm just used to JavaScript, to pure JavaScript where you can, it's like you can write everything and JavaScript is okay. I think I can solve this problem for you. And okay, this is a string, this is a number, but I will make something out of it. And TypeScript or any static strong type languages, it's so strict and it tells me what to do. And it tells, no, you cannot use this type here. And actually the first first days, I felt really bad because every time TypeScript failed, I wanted to shout at my at my laptop, okay, I know, please let me just do stuff. Don't tell me what to do. Like, well, that was a bit hard to get used to. Sorry, just to make sure I heard you right. Are yeah. you using Vue with TypeScript? Yes. Okay, I'm just curious because I haven't used Vue with TypeScript yet. What library are you using for that to get them to talk nicely together? Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, so, <okay. laughs> um, because I'm there for eight weeks. While we have one product, we actually have different applications that come together. And I'm still wrapping my mind around all the stuff that is like company specific. So I have no idea which libraries we are all using okay. to get it together. I've- I've personally been holding off on TypeScript and Vue until the uh, composition API comes out with Vue 3. So I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in that same boat. Now, one of the things, the phrases you used just now, Miriam, uh, was the Wild West of React. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to that. I know that two aspects that I appreciate in using Vue, especially coming from AngularJS and really got into 2 plus with Angular, is the fact that there are core-supported router and state management solutions, whereas I understand it with React, there are, there's React Router, but there's any number of router and state management libraries out there and not one that is really you know supported by the core. So I'm curious if you can speak to that aspect. Yeah, so I think that is one of the biggest pros for a few because you have the support you don't in in React. You have so many options, but that's really hard because you're okay. Should I use a React router? Should I use Reach router? Should I use the next hot router that ca- um, comes around the corner? And I think few. You kind of have a package. You can have the whole deal, the whole um, libraries you need, or the whole um, parts you need supported by the core team. And I think that's a really really good thing because. Yeah, the wild rest of React gets pretty messy, honestly, sometimes. So does this answer your question? Yeah, no, that sounds good. So if I understood your journey, how you were working in one place where you went with React, and then you started another job and they were using Vue, it sounded like okay, you sort of had to use Vue because that's what the new job was using. Being honest here, and remembering this is a Vue podcast, if you had your choice, now that you've worked with both, knowing the environments and so on, what would be your preference to work with and why? So a great question. Not to put you on the spot or anything. (laughs) No, it's a great question, but I have, it's just, it depends. So it really depends on what I'm building or what I want to build, what people or if people are working with me. So I'm really not sure because I think both frameworks or both libraries have good things and things that I'm not so used to or that I don't like as much. I'm, I'm really not sure. But I think if I would start something private just now for fun, maybe I would get back to React, but not because I think it's better, 
but just because I'm working in a new job for eight weeks and this is hard and this it's like learning so much new stuff that I think it would feel good to go back to something that I can do really good, if you know what I mean. So just this getting back in, in a language or in a framework that I'm good at and familiar with just for like a confident boost. But I think all in all, it really depends on the project, on the people you're working with. I don't have strong opinions about what is a better framework. Okay, so you said it depends on the project. So can you give me an example maybe of one project that you would you, where React would be better than Vue and vice versa? Wow, that's a hard question. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you got me there. Hmm. Okay, well that's fine. Yeah. Just yeah. Curious. I don't have the I don't have the experience you do in both frameworks, so I was just looking for a little comparison there. I think honestly in the end um, deciding between the big um, front-end frameworks, I think it will always come back to the question, uh, what are the developers that will work with this project are familiar with and what do they like better? Because I think in the end, it's not like one of them is really so much better than, than the rest. So I think, yeah, that's just my opinion. But I think in the end, it depends on what the people are willing to to use. Yeah, I mean that makes use. perfect sense. One of the one of the an argument I've heard from or something I've heard mentioned by other people is that if I'm a user and I'm looking at an app or a website or you know whatever is used and it works, I couldn't care less if it was written in React or if it was Vue or if it was Angular or if it was Ember or if it was Svelte. All I care as a user is that it works. Yeah. And so from a technical team, if all your people are, you know, trained in React and they're familiar with it and they can get things done and out the door and make a good product, then React's great. If you're a Vue, you know, team, then maybe, you know, using Vue is going to be, is if using Vue is what's going to make you efficient and allow you to make a good product, then Vue is the, thing, is the way to go. And I think, you know, Vue versus React is something more for the developer community and likes and dislikes and and so on. But from a user standpoint, they don't care as long as the app does what it needs them to do and does it right. So you answered this question so much better than I could. <laughs> really good. Yes. No, I think that, I think you added some some value. I don't know, just to, to chime in on the whole like view versus react thing. Like I think I think it is a question when determining which framework for your team, but I don't I don't support the whole divide between like view versus react, which I, I see a lot because at the end of the day, it's all JavaScript. It's all going to be gone in five years and replaced by the next thing. And I think both communities really support each other. Like Vue picks up some things from React clearly. React picks up things from Vue. It all pushes the, the language forward, which I think is great. Yeah, that's true. Is there any feature of React that you miss in this project with Vue? Uh, not a feature, but currently I'm still missing the JavaScript feeling. So I think what React does, does really good is it just embraces JavaScript. Everything is JavaScript and you can write JavaScript. And that's the kind of thing that I sometimes miss in a few. Yeah, that's the one thing that I noticed most, just as I can write JavaScript in my, in my whole uh, file. Yeah. Well, for what so it's like, worth, you still it, can. I mean, I think you know, the large yeah, project sure. I'm working on, you know, there's some parts of my templating where I'm using JSX just because things yeah. got a little tricky. So I know that you can use, you know, plain JavaScript 
as you want. But yeah, for the most part, if you're using the view abstractions that make your life easier, then you know that's what you write to. So the thing is, we obviously I write JavaScript or TypeScript a lot because we tend to um, encapsulate all, or not all, but most of the logic in, in pure TypeScript files because they're easier to test and stuff. So I'm writing TypeScript, but just this, the templating with JSX felt a bit easier for me, but I worked for one and a half year. So in one and a half year, I will tell you that it was easier. So it's just what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. All for writing what you're used to. I think there's a lot of value in that, right? Where I've seen this decision made on Teams where essentially, yeah, it boiled down to where the learning curve was as opposed to because Vue is better than React, React is better than Angular, better fit. And I think for like 80% of the solutions out there, it doesn't matter a ton which one you pick as long as you're consistent and you have a good process around it. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, so you, you get into Vue. I'm curious, what's it like getting into programming now, especially on the front end? Because I think most of us have been doing this for a while and we kind of have you know some idea as far as oh, I came up using this backend language or I remember the bad old days when I was building backbone apps and now I'm doing view apps. So for you coming in you know, over the last couple of years, what's that been like? Like as far as community and resources and things like that? Yeah. So the thing is actually, I built my first website with iframes when it was like the state of the art thing to do. Nice. So, <laughs> I love that's it. That's the best. Yeah. Oh, good old iframes. <laughs> it is and then and then there were tables and stuff Ooh. so so i did it like in my own private time on a very 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 small project like my own websites and stuff i did front-end development as a hobby so i kind of lived through all the different states <laughs> but um when i started to get into it like in as a job it was so Oh my God, it's so much because there are all these different frameworks to learn and all these different libraries. And somehow JavaScript became this thing where you have all these packages and, and all these libraries and all this, you, you have to install all your NPM modules and stuff. And it's so much. The first, I think the first year I, always thought about okay maybe i should choose just a backend language because that seems easier to me than all this front end stuff like okay what is new in html and what can css do now and what is the next big framework you're using but all in all i really like it so i, I try not to get too hype driven and try out everything i came across but i like that it's so creative and that there are so many options. That's pretty cool. But it, it's also really hard to get into because it's like, okay, where do I even start? Yes, I'm really that's... happy I had all this experience with the old internet, like HTML, CSS stuff. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, that's the, the phrase that was used for a long time was JavaScript fatigue. You know, there's like every day there's some new library, there's some new tool, there's some some new fancy thing that's coming out and everybody's like, oh gosh, now I got to keep track of this and now I got to keep track of that. And this seems to have slowed down some, just coming from my own experience with some solidification around, you know, React, Angular View, and you've got Ember and now Savelt's coming out, those type of thing. And there's always going to be new tools. Like I think Parcel is 
is, you know, a, a newer form of Webpack or not a new form, but, you know, similar tool. So what I found that I had to do was sort of figure out, okay, this is what I want to focus on. I'm just going to get good at that. And then once you get that, then you can learn something else new and, and so on and so forth. You're not alone in doing that and, and just trying to figure out, okay, I got to ignore a lot of this. This is what I'm going to focus on and, and go down that route. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're in, in kind of a golden age of web development with just how much we can do quickly. And at the same time, I do not envy anyone that's getting into it right now because it's all over the place with with all these things you need to learn and, and build pipelines and JavaScript frameworks and all this and that. And so much even gets missed in fundamentals that I think, Miriam, it was, it's great that you have some of this previous history because then you get, you understand things like just how a server works and just an index.html file or pointing a DNS record. A lot of people never even get to. And, and also what I noticed is like, I think front-end development there are three parts. We have JavaScript, obviously, with maybe a framework. We have HTML and CSS. And I feel sometimes that people that um, are coming new to front-end development focus on just the JavaScript and the framework part. And I think the HTML and CSS part, in the end, that's what the browser is using and that, that's what the user is actually using. I think sometimes that, that get lost, like... You have buttons that are diffs because it's easier to style a diff. And that's just, what? You cannot do this. So I think it's really hard to to see and to focus on what is really important and what is just, not just, but what is more fancy stuff. That's the thing I noticed, especially as developers that are using frameworks like Vue or React. Preach it, sister. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's exactly true. I mean, the end result is HTML. That's what the browser reads. It does, you know, in CSS, you got to have that. And if you don't understand how your framework is spitting out CSS in JavaScript, then you're not going to understand why does it look like CRUD or why does it look this way? Your libraries, your bootstrap or your Bulma or, you know, pick your, your tool of choice. They're going to do a lot for you, but, you know, in the end, you're still going to need to know that base stuff. And so, yeah, HTML, CSS is definitely way to go. Yeah. My, I myself have been, I used to do some CSS, you know, in HTML, but I've, I've realized that I've sort of gotten behind the times in terms of all the things that have been added to CSS since the days when I was literally being told, okay, use tables to do your layout, you know, and that's like yeah. when you're, I can remember doing it. My first side, I was using tables to lay things out and people saying, yeah, that's the way to do it. Then you got your floats and and clears and, and all that kind of stuff. And now you've got grid and flexbox. And and I've been going through a, a West Boss course on CSS grid. And it's just amazing what you can do with straight CSS now that you know you need fewer and fewer other tools such as a bootstrap or something to do stuff for you that you can just do in straight CSS. So yeah, you really got to keep up. That's more to keep up on, unfortunately. <laughs> you got to keep up on your JavaScript and then your HTML and your CSS changes because of all that's that's being added to those uh, as time goes on. Well, it's interesting too because they keep adding stuff to the spec that empowers it too. So the stuff that we used, you know, Bootstrap or Backbone or whatever, or even jQuery to kind of automate. Now you don't even need JavaScript to make it do it. I mean, animations is an example of that, right? You just pull mm -hmm. in the CSS, it's all accelerated on your GPU and off you run. 
I just showed somebody at work the uh, custom CSS properties, I think is what it is, because we were talking about SAS variables. And he was just blown away with how awesome that is that you can already do something like that in straight CSS now. Yeah, there's a free code camp. I saw Quincy Larson put out a video a couple weeks ago about a six-hour tutorial and everything you needed to know about CSS. So I've got that on my list of times things to go through when I have six-plus hours. Uh, (laughs) How long is that list? Oh, I just bought another Udemy course today from Max Schwartzmiller on um, okay. on something. I've already forgot what it is. Oh, Svelte. That's what it was. So yeah, my, That's a great course, by the way. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I did Scott Talinsky's. And now this one looks like it's a little longer and more involved. So, And it was only 11 bucks too. So I think that's three courses of Max's that I have lined up on Udemy to take. So yes, there's a lot to learn and a lot to know. But it's just, it's cool, all the stuff you can do you know, from the base level now with, with your base CSS and HTML and some JavaScript and without needing all the layers on top, which I think is, you know, obviously good for, as Chuck mentioned, performance, because you're not downloading all this stuff every time you go to a site. It's just, it's already built right in, handled in the browser, so you can be that much faster and more efficient. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's funny because there are so many, like, blog posts about, okay, how can you make your portfolio with this and that cool front end um, framework and application. And then you have to pull in all those libraries and stuff to make it faster and more, uh, more performant. And the thing is, maybe you could just build it in HTML and CSS and it would be so performant. I think some people feel they are, the basics are more like boring. So it's just not as exciting as JavaScript. I'm not sure. So when you were learning Vue, you mentioned, I can't remember if it was before the podcast or during, you, you mentioned about the Vue docs. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the Vue docs and how it's easy to learn from them. And I find that true to a certain extent. They tend to be pretty basic, which is, you know, by necessity, you don't want to confuse the sun out of somebody on the first page of the docs by trying to teach them all the things you can do with a particular piece of functionality. But what, uh, is there any other resources that you use for learning Vue, whether it was video courses or blog posts or websites or tools of those type? Hmm. I think I don't have one resource where I, which is like my go-to resource. There's one GitHub um, repository where all few stuff is explained in the class components because we are using class components which have a bit different syntax. And then I'm just Googling stuff on the go. I'm just learning this framework on the go on the job, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and I think I learn a lot from my coworkers. And just when I try to solve a problem and then I use Google and I read everything that I find. So I'm more like all over the place. I don't have one resource where I can say, okay, this is the thing I learned it from. Well, yeah, I wasn't necessarily thinking of one particular, but what resources, yeah. you know, what did you use? So it's not, yeah, Google is uh, is the tool for, for a lot of people, whether it's Stack Overflow yeah. questions or, yeah, there's a lot of free information out there. And I think because I'm working on a project, so I always have a problem to solve that gives me some kind of structure. So, yeah, that's the thing. Because otherwise, when I try to learn stuff on my own, the hardest part for me is always finding something to build or finding a problem to solve. That's where I tend to look up, okay, resources like a free code camp and stuff. And now on the job, it's like I have a 
I have a feature I'm working on and I want to solve a special uh, specific problem and I, I work just with that. So I look up, okay, how, how can I do that? How can I um, implement this feature and stuff? I'm curious, since one of your focuses is unit testing, have you gotten too much into unit testing in Vue yet? And I'm just curious on your experience with that compared to React. That's a good question. So I think it, I'm having a hard time even making the difference because uh, with, okay, what is really a unit test in Vue? Because I think in that moment when I use like shallow mount, is it really a unit test? So what I actually love doing is just pulling st uh, stuff out from few components, um, writing them in TypeScript and test it, because I think that are the easiest unit tests. The kind of unit test we are doing with few, I'm not sure why, but currently I feel I have a harder time writing this kind of test like I did with uh, React, because in React we used um, chest and enzyme, and enzyme is a great library for React testing. And later, when we started to use the new and the cool hooks in React, we started to add the testing library from Kenzie Dots. Currently, we are using, and few, we are using the few test utils. Sometimes I just miss some functionality from Enzyme, but we try to implement our own test helpers. I cannot really say why, but currently I have the feeling it's a bit harder for me to write tests in few. But it may just be that I'm not so familiar with it. I'm not sure why. But like I said, the best thing I think you can do is just pull out logic, everything that's not like um, directly related to to the view and to uh, like the state handling. Just pull it out and TypeScript functions and write your unit tests for this. Are you still using Jest or are you using one of the other um, testing libraries? We are using Chest um, and a few test utils. Okay. I think that's a standard Vue testing library, yeah. Yeah. I originally was intimidated by Vue testing just because the community seemed very focused on Jest. And at the time, the Vue docs were suggesting to use something besides Jest. I don't remember what it was at this point. Um, oh, okay. That's interesting. So I was curious on your experience and how it had gone. Yeah, the project that I came into that I'm working on now, we use Jest as well. It looks like we use there's a Vue Jest library and... And so, yeah, I was sort of in, intimidating at first, but as I've had to sort of fix tests as I've gone along and updated my code, I've actually got a better understanding of how it works. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just you know, like anything else, it takes, you know, familiarity. But uh, Yeah, that's good. So speaking of testing, um, we were talking earlier, Miriam, you did a video, and we can put this in the show notes, I'm sure, Chuck, about a presentation you did. I'm not sure when it was. looks like a little earlier this year where you used your nine years of experience as a dog trainer. I think it was nine years, right? Yeah, um, almost. It was eight and nine months or something yeah. like so, that. So, yeah, close enough. How you used your dog training to demonstrate test-driven development in JavaScript. So I watched it not too long before we started recording, and it was really fantastic. It's about 30, yeah, just about 34 minutes long. So you want to talk about that and, and how you tied those two things together? Because I think it was really neat. Yeah, sure. I would love to. I love talking about testing and dog training, though. Yeah. The funny thing is when I started like digging deeper into development and planning my career in this um, area, I tried out testing for the first time because before like HTML and CSS, you don't need to unit test. 
I'm not sure, but testing and I, it was just like instant love. <laughs> I'm really not sure why, but testing is just the thing that's so, I like it a lot. It took me some time, but in the end I noticed, okay, we have so many um, principles and approaches in dog training or in the kind of dog training I did that are really familiar to testing and especially to test driven development. So every time I try to explain um, co-workers or friends stuff about testing and especially test driven development, I always felt back on my dog trainer examples. I'm doing that a lot. Like, okay, actually as a dog trainer, you do this and that. And in testing, it was especially um, high. So like the way I explained it was dog training. I just thought about, okay, how can I bring these two things together? Because I, li I like talking about both. And that's how the talk came yeah, into play. Because I thought, okay, why not explain these things? I, I noticed this, uh, this, this principles that apply in dog training and how they relate to testing. And I thought it would be a great way to explain test-driven development from a more different angle because test-driven development can be a bit try to explain and I thought okay dog training is something I mean most people like dogs so I thought that would be a great approach and it, actually it worked it was really easy choosing my gif and images for the presentation so yeah I have a question regarding the experience that you're reaching back for with the dog training and the testing. Are you using your dog training skills, applying it to your testing strategy, or are you using your dog training skills when you train other people to get into testing? Both. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely so both. <laughs> and so you keep me so... out of test, I get a treat. Actually, I had um, a few months ago, I was um, on an event with a coworker, and somebody asked him, okay, um, so, okay, if she was a dog trainer, did, did she teach you something? And he, he said, haha, no, she did not. And I was like, okay, one moment, please. When you started to work on our team, did you like testing? And he was like, no, I hated it. I'm like, okay, do you write tests now? And he was like, yes. And I'm like, see, I... I, I taught you something. So, yes, you can apply dog training skills totally to people. <laughs> because, okay, as a dog trainer, uh, the kind of training I did, I, I worked, I didn't train the dogs. I trained the people to train their uh, dogs. Oh, and that comes in really handy working with developers, <laughs> with everyone, obviously. <laughs> but in my new company, I think um, I was one week in and a coworker said, okay, honestly, If we are working together, I'm afraid I write to not enough tests. So it took a week. Yeah. That's interesting. So how many tests is enough tests? <laughs> That's uh, a loaded question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really hard question. I'm not sure because we all know like 100% test cover, which doesn't mean a thing in the end. But I think, okay, so if you can change your code and delete code, without checking your browser, if you did something horrible and you are confident enough in your tests that they will detect the big problems, I think that's enough test. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, I've worked on some projects that don't have many tests and I've worked on projects that have a lot of testing and it's so much more comfortable 
to make changes on a project that you know is well yes. tested. Oh my yep. God. Yes, it is. And I think it's, it can be fun. Okay. Testing and I, it's a really, really um, strange relationship, but it's just refactoring or changing a component, which is really good tested. It's so much fun. I just love <laughs> this feeling of, okay, all tests are queen, all tests are queen, all tests are queen. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's just yeah, testing it out. You have to be the first person I've ever put the words test and fun in the same sentence. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Testing is not fun. I, I mean, I can understand the fun feeling. You have, yes, my test passed because I have to deal with that every time I build a new release. But uh, yeah, just saying that's, uh, that's, that's got to be a first for me. But the funny thing is, or the thing I don't understand is often people are like, okay, how many tests do I have to write? And do I have to write tests? And nobody ever says, okay, do I really have to write this code? And I think tests are just code. So I have a lot of fun writing code and I have a lot of fun writing tests. I'm talking about unit tests. So integration tests are a bit harder and end-to-end -end tests, oh my God, a whole different thing. So, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, I had fun after I wrote my first hundred or so tests for a React project and everything was green and it was wonderful. I could go to my manager saying, look, it works great. I've written a hundred tests and I could just prove that yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you bring up integration tests because I, I wanted to ask, I saw, I don't remember who it was, but they said it was a tweet that was like, write tests, not too many, mostly integration. And the logic behind it is that unit tests can be brittle and you put in a lot of like unit tests require a lot of work for not so much payback whereas integration tests you write one integration test you can test you know five different components at once so you get a lot of you get a lot back for that one integration test versus a unit test what are your thoughts on that i know i know this tweet and i know this kind of thought and in my opinion, and I have really strong opinions about unit tests, I think unit tests are just the best thing ever because the unit tests are so easy to write. So it's, it's really fast. And I think they are easy to fix. If you write good unit tests and one test fails, it should be really easy to fix this test or fix the code. And on the other hand, I think that integration tests can be... A, I have a really hard time writing good integration tests. Because an integration test that fails tends not to tell me, okay, what is actually like the problem that causing this test to fail? And I, that's what I think integration tests are harder to write. They are harder to maintain and testing takes longer. So I'm really not sure why this, this, okay, not too many unit tests. Where, where did this come from? I'm not sure. Just, so, can you take I a think, step back real quick yeah. and, and identify what an integration test is? Yeah, that's a hard. Okay, that's really hard. Uh, I think an integration test is if I test a thing that relates to more than one part of the code. So I think uh, testing a bigger component can be an integration test because it's not one unit you test. Okay, so it's basically, okay, I've got a unit test. This piece works. And then I've got this other test, and this piece works. Now, an integration test is, do both of those work together? Yes. Is that it? Okay, yeah. good. Maybe. But I think in, in real life, it's a bit hard to really tell, okay, is this still a unit test? Is this an integration test? But I like the small, fast tests that give me a direct feedback about my code. 
And I think like this testing pyramid, like a lot of unit tests, a few integration tests, and even fewer end-to-end -end tests is a thing in software development for a long time. And I think that that, that has a reason. So there's a reason for that because I think it works. Yeah, testing's funny. It has its, it has like its own realm of the, the React versus Vue argument. Like you got the diehard integration versus the unit testing people. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, just test your application. And like sometimes unit tests make more sense, sometimes integration tests. Yeah, yeah sure. Like I said, unit testing and I, it's just a very specific, a special relationship. So I'm always on the unit testing side. <laughs> always unit test better. It's not better. You need both. You cannot you cannot write just unit tests. That doesn't make any sense. But I think um, just writing integration tests makes it really hard. And uh, the React project I was working on when I did come to that project, we had only end-to-end -end tests. And oh my God, that was really hard because these tests just tend to fail for no reason at all. Just because like the test was testing a button, but the button was not actually there yet. So we tend to to look at the tests and we're like, okay, ah, oh, 30 tests are failing. That is like the normal amount of failing tests. And then <laughs> the tests, yeah, but then it doesn't make sense because, yeah, maybe everything is working and it's just a normal failing test. Or maybe uh, the user cannot just uh, buy their card. So, yeah. Yeah, race conditions. That's always fun. We're talking testing a lot. I'm wondering if we can get this back into view or just front end in general is, you know, how do you, how, do you have any tips for writing tests for front end applications? Because at some point writing a test for one plus one equals two is really easy. That's just math, right? I have an input and I have an output, yeah. but when I'm writing tests for UI components, now I have all of these variables of what the markup is going to look like, which classes are going to be on it, what the actual text is going to be. Yeah. And some of that might change just because we need to, you know, add an extra pixel of margin to this component. That shouldn't break a unit test, but somehow it does, right? Or if I'm yeah, doing like snapshot yeah. testing. Yeah, that's true. So I think snapshot testing is, is a whole different thing because I think I don't look at snapshot tests like I look at a unit test. A snapshot test is more like if a snapshot test fails, it's just like information, hey, please look. Does it make sense that the snapshot is failing? Maybe because I changed the margin, but that's the thing where I think it's not really like a unit test. And I'm still not sure how and when to use snapshot tests. So I had a time where I snapshot tested all the things, like everything got a snapshot test and that was fun until they started to fail. I couldn't even scroll far enough in my terminal to see which snapshots are all failing. So that's not really the best thing. And then you just end up updating the snapshots without even confirming. So yeah. you're like, oh, I just update the snapshot and if it's broke, you know. That's true, yes. That's a problem. <laughs> and yeah. I think in, in testing front-end application, and I don't have the, the a real solution here because I'm still undecided, but I tend, like I said, to... I like to extract everything that I can from the component and just write it in functions and test these functions. And that is the easy part. Then I, I try to think like, okay, what is, what is important for the user? Is it important that the margin is right? I don't think so. 
but is it important that like the button is actually in the DOM? Yeah, I think so. So I test the button. Is it important that the button has a specific color? Maybe. Maybe it's important because it's like really important that the button uh, button is a warning. Then I tend to test this. But if it's just like, yeah, the button has a brand color, I don't test it. So I just try to to get a feeling for, okay, what is causing a problem for the user in the end? That's the kind of approach I try to do. That's not always the best thing. Yeah, but that's at the moment what I try to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I do kind of the same thing. I'm not a fan of snapshot testing either. I think it can be great. So I had a lot of fun while I did it, but when I started to work with other people in a project, the snapshot test didn't make sense anymore. I'm not sure why. I think just people started to update them too soon. Steve, did you have something that you were you're going to say before we got into all that? Yeah, and you may or may not have an answer to this, Miriam, but one of the things that you know I've mentioned anytime I'm on a podcast and that I work with a lot is a debugger. And I know that there's been times when I'm trying to, I'm dealing with an issue with a just test in view that is failing. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is the test doing? And so I've tried to figure out debugging, you know, the way I do with my view codes so that I can go through and see what the test is doing. Do you do any of that at all? Have you set up a debugger for your actual tests or do you just sort of rely on your knowledge of what the test testing framework is doing? I never have set up a debugger for my tests. Sometimes I could use one, but I never did get into this. So when I'm not sure what my tests are doing and why they are failing, I do the good old console lock in my test. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm really happy because I see all people doing just this. I see new developers console lock everything and I see senior developers console lock everything. And I'm like, okay, it's just the thing you do. Yeah. But I didn't try any really debugging tool in my tests. Yeah, I've looked around and, and found different, you know, articles or blog posts on how to set up test debugging because they're basically running a node, I believe. Correct me yeah. wrong, but in Visual Studio Code, and other ways to do it, I've just never taken the time to follow through and, and do that. So I was just curious. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Maybe I have to look into that. <laughs> All right. Well, are we ready to do picks, or is there anything else we should dive into? I don't know. Maybe. Miriam, did you want to share about this? Is it the conference, conference buddy. buddy thing? Yeah, oh, is that okay. is that yeah. on view, or do you just want to like share about that really quick? Yeah, sure. Maybe it can be just my pick. <laughs> can I take it as my own pick? My own project is my pick. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Whatever. Tell us about it anyway, and then you can <laughs> shout it out then too. Okay, cool. Okay, so conference buddy is currently just a, a forum a forum system where you can find people that go to conferences you want to go to so that you don't have to go alone. That's basically all it is. And it was my idea because I was too afraid to go to a conference on my own. And I'm not even sure how that happened, but this idea of, okay, there are onboarding buddies if you're new in a company. Why is there not a conference buddy if you're new new to a conference? That was um, the idea. And now it's just a thing that works through a forum system and some conferences are applying it on their um, event. Honestly, I have such a great community behind it. There are so many people that are really engaged and are really active in the community and offering to be conference buddies and it's working. 
I think, pretty good currently. So if you know anybody that wants to go to a conference or a tech event and doesn't really feel comfortable on their own, Conference Buddy is a place to go, I think. Nice. What did you write it in? It looks like it's, you use Ruby. It's um, a discourse. and Not discourse, discourse. That is Ruby, yes, but it's not yes. written by me. It's just a hosted oh, okay. um, forum system because my first thought obviously was, okay, I just built an app because it's what, what a developer does. But actually, I decided to use something that I don't have really much work with because just hosting this community and connecting this community is enough work as it is. So, But I plan on writing my own application some times i hope soon and i started setting up um a phoenix project so um elixir mm -hmm. but i'm not really for oh, interesting yeah is it all ready to go for uh UConf us i'm not sure if there's a thread but you can make one about the UConf us cool i like that the logo is a dog i'm willing to bet where that inspiration came from <laughs> yes. actually it's my dog <laughs> Oh, nice. It's my dog. Yeah, it's my dog, Ruby. She looks 100% like the logo. Former co-worker of mine did the logo, and she did such a great job because everybody that sees Ruby is like, oh, she's a dog from the logo. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I can uh, support any action that involves Ruby. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> cool. so, awesome. And Ruby, yeah, Ruby the dog or Ruby the language? Either one. But if, involve, it, dog, if it involves the dog, you have to be kind. And so the dog is named after the language, so that's the same thing, basically. Yeah. I have a co-host on Ruby Rogues that named his daughter after the language, so... Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Wow. That's dedication. Yep. But, but right. Ruby. Yes, we are still talking about Ruby, not... Yeah. Yes, Ruby. Any other language. Okay, cool. <laughs> Her middle name isn't Rails, is it? No. <laughs> okay. As far as I know, anyway... Actually, when we got Ruby, I wanted to take a picture with her on Rails because oh, I thought, go. oh my go. God, that is so funny. Ruby on oh, Rails. That would be awesome. But, yeah. yeah, but I was too afraid that like a train would come unannounced, <laughs> which would not happen. But yeah, okay, I did it. I didn't do it. <laughs> yep. Daddy, why is my brother's name Python? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask JavaScript. It's a long story. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv, and I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community, and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show, though, is React Roundup. And every week, we bring in people from the React community, and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps, and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. All right, let's have Steve start us off. Okay, so my pick for the week is a little more recent than my last pick that I did. This is a musical group that I've really gotten into over the past few years called Need to Breathe. And Need to Breathe is all one word. But they're out of South Carolina, the sort of a Southern rock. They're sort of a Christian band. They're really, really great stuff. Um, I just saw them not too long ago here in Portland. 
when they first started coming to, to the Portland area, they were doing little small venues, the clubs, and now they're using Memorial Coliseum, uh, which is, you know, a 18, 19,000 seat arena. But uh, I really, really like their music and every album they put out has, has gotten better and better. They're definitely a Southern rock type of sound, which I really, really like. Um, they just put out an acoustic live album too, which uh, I have yet to listen to, but I recognize all the songs, so it'll be good. But yep, that's my pick. Awesome. Austin, what are your picks? So we were talking before the show a bit about languages and where everyone was coming from and all that. And so my first pick is going to be Duolingo. I don't know if any of you have given it a shot, but that's how I kind of learned how to speak Italian. It was really awesome. So I recommend it. And my second pick is going to be Cloudflare and specifically their workers product. I was having a conversation on Twitter this morning about it. I've only played around with it once. It's a pretty cool way to deploy a static website and it deploys to all of Cloudflare's CDN locations. So you can be super, super fast at reaching your users from wherever they are in the world. So it's a pretty cool thing to check out and play around with. So is that a Netlify type of service? Yeah. So I wouldn't call them competition necessarily. I think Netlify is also really awesome for like free hosting. I know that they have a CDN aspect to it. I don't know if they're serving up the HTML files from that CDN or just other assets like images, CSS, JavaScript and stuff, but it would be kind of like the same sort of thing, but on Cloudflare's network. And I think they also have, you can run like edge functions. So similar to Netlify's functions, all of it's really cool. All of it's really exciting. Like edge compute is going to be sweet and I'm stoked. (laughs) Yeah. I think I talked to somebody from Cloudflare at OzCon or something and yeah, they had just announced the Ed Compute stuff and they were they were super excited about it. So But that's basically just running functions out on on their edge server so you're not coming back to to home to source. Right. Right? Yeah, exactly. They also yeah. they also have kind of a, a global key value store thing that's available. But yeah, I don't know. I only played around with it a bit, but it was really cool and we had the conversation this morning, so I figured I'd give them a shout out. Nice. Lindsay, what are your picks? So today I'd like to pick a recipe for last few weeks. We're recording in December, so last few weeks includes Thanksgiving. I have been making a paleo maple pecan apple crisp uh, for my family. And essentially we get to the end of the day and look at each other and like, you know what would be great? I think we should have some apple crisp. So I just throw it together. My family eats with the, the paleo plan diet. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. Focusing on nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense food. And this is just one of the ways that we use to have something nice and sweet at the same time. And if you are vegan, there is a vegan option inside of the recipe. So Right. That's, it doesn't include is, animal products like eggs and butter? Right. The only thing in this that is an animal product is butter, but its primary suggestion is to use coconut oil anyway. Mm-hmm. So I prefer butter. It's just what I use, but you can use any of the other options. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to throw out some picks. Uh, I think I mentioned at the top of the show, of course, I've already done a couple shows today, so maybe I didn't. My book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job, it's out on paperback. So you can go get it at Amazon. And let me know if you do. I'd be interested to see how many people pick up the paperback versus the ebook. I keep getting asked about the audiobook. It's going to come out in January. I'm still working on recording it. So... There is that. And I am going to double down on something that Miriam mentioned because I've been playing with it lately. 
this episode will probably come out in a few weeks. So I'm not worried about spoiling anything, but I've been working on pulling together a JavaScript forum and that's at javascriptforum.net. If anybody on this call actually goes and looks right now, there's only one post and it's the welcome post, but I'm going to be inviting all of my co-hosts, all of our past guests in to participate in it. And I'm really planning on doing a few things with it. One is I'm going to be putting up an exercise for people to do every week. And then you can you know, come in and post links to your solutions on GitHub. So if you have a GitHub project or a gist or something like that, I'm also planning on posting basically introductory how-tos and things like that and tips at least once a week to the forum. And mostly what my goal there is, is to start documenting some of the basic functionality that's built into the JavaScript language and help people understand how to use it. I kind of have this idea that I eventually want to put together some kind of guide out on the internet, maybe using ViewPress. I've been playing with that as well. So yeah, just kind of toying around with that. But I think a forum would be a nice place for me to kind of put the rough draft up and then let people ask clarifying questions and, and get more stuff on there, you know, before I get a final version out somewhere else or semi-final since I plan on keeping the guide up to date. So anyway, that's, that's something that I kind of, I'm kind of playing with at the moment. So yeah, Discourse and ViewPress are really great. Miriam, what are your picks? My pick is conference party, <laughs> like I al- already told you. And okay, what is a good pick? I really like Exorcism IO. Mm-hmm. Does this count as a pick? It does. Exorcism it's- was built by Katrina Owen, who used to be on Ruby Rogues. Yeah. So. Ah, cool. Yeah, I, I really love Exorcism. I'm not, if I have a longer train travel or just some free time, I tend to do this little coding exercises and I just love that exorcism gives me the opportunity to have like smaller problems to solve. And I started doing it in um, Elixir. I'm not really far, but I really love exorcism. I think it's a, it's such an awesome project. It's really good. So that's Is that really exorcism like. as in the exorcist, the movie or what's the, no. your, <laughs> that's what I exorcism, Like it's, a, it's written a bit more, like exercise, but it's kind yeah. of yeah, E X E R C I S M. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And they used to have a command line where you could actually just pull in the next one. Yes. Um, so I still do. Is that still how it works? Yeah. So yeah. I'm using it through my um, iTrum. I just pull the stuff, yeah. uh, push the stuff, and so on. Yeah. Yep. And it's good stuff. And they've got. Boy, they've got all kinds of languages. I don't even know yeah. these days. Yeah, they got yes, a ton. Vim yeah. script. Wow. Okay. Crystal. Oh wow. I didn't even realize. You have to dig into this. Scala, Swift, Pro Five, Lua, Ballerina. I haven't even heard of some of these. Yeah, Ballerina is an ops language similar to JavaScript. But you've got OCaml, ReasonML, TypeScript, Pharo, on there? Scheme, Elm. I wouldn't be shocked. Delphi Pascal. Yeah, Elm's in there. D. Oh, my. There's an obscure language. (laughs) MIPS. They also have uh, x86 assembly. Wow. Yeah. CoffeeScript. There you go. Go learn CoffeeScript, everybody. (laughs) Groovy. It's the next big thing. They've got PL SQL, which is the Perl runtime in Postgres. I don't even know what some of these are. CFML. Nim. Faro, P-H-A-R-O. Wow, they got yeah. quite the uh, quite the coverage there. 
Yeah, they get volunteers to come in and create the exercises. I think they're pretty much the same across all languages. So, oh, cool. Yeah, it's really good. I love it, and I love that the exercises are they get more difficult, but they are still like doable. I'm just doing Advent of Code, and I, I don't know if you know this Advent of Code. That's just like yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure how how well known it is. And just like last year, I'm way behind and feeling like the most stupid person on the planet because I think the, these uh, tasks are so hard. But there are people that do them in a minute. I'm not sure how that works. And exorcism is great because the, the tasks are a bit smaller and a bit more doable, I think. Yep. I haven't done yeah, that code. First day, I'm like, yeah, this is great. It's, it's fun. I'm solving problem and this will be so fun. And now I'm on, still on day, I think I'm now at day four. So way behind. And I felt like, yeah, like I said, like the stupid person on the planet. And um, I did wrong life choices and I shouldn't be a developer <laughs> because it's just so frustrating sometimes. Well, so please mo- start, only start a bit of code. Yeah. You're just getting a head start on next year's advent of code. That's <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's good. There's a cool little, I don't know if I want to call it an Easter egg on exorcism.io, but if you keep refreshing the homepage, you'll see different little avatars of different, uh, like very diverse collection of little avatars, which I think is cool. That's cool. Nice. Let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Miriam. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I had fun too. (laughs) All right, folks. We'll have another one next week. And in the meantime, Max out. Adios. See ya. Bye. Have a good time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.